The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the seventh chapter. Mark writes, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it's written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother most surely will die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus making a void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please. Be seated. Well, dear saints, the plot is insidious. The devil has gathered his minions and commanded them to press their one advantage. Doubt. And his orders make the children of the enemy feel satisfied when they read their Bibles when they go to church and when they visit the sick and the shut-ins. Make them feel good for having done something religious. In fact, suggest that they are good. And so many in the church have become satisfied with themselves when they might have been satisfied with Christ alone in spite of themselves. Now, I'm not sure if you were trying to follow along as Joel was reading the psalm today, but I'd like to note that your hymnal omits hymn number 14. Perhaps it was too dark for the church. King David, the psalmist, he states that the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who do 
seek after God. He says there is none who does good, not even one. It's dark. And perhaps this psalm would be easier to comprehend in the context of its author. A ridiculed adulteress, dead and broken in his sins, judged and ashamed. His searching, well, it's similar to ours. Lost sheep trying to figure out just what we're supposed to be doing. Now in our reading today from the Gospel of St. Mark, the Pharisees questioned Jesus and the actions of those that followed him. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, they asked, but eat with defiled hands? They were concerned about their righteousness, the good in them based on what they do. But when we read this gospel, we get the impression that the Pharisees were talking about hands, works and deeds, commandments, laws and traditions. But Jesus, he he flips the script on them. And he talks about our hearts. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men? Hands and hearts seem to have totally different functions. So why does Jesus do this? Why does he talk about the cleansing of hearts when the Pharisees want to talk about the washing of their hands? First, let's consider the accusation of the Pharisees. And we often picture the Pharisees as bad people. They're always hanging around in the background of Jesus's works, criticizing him, questioning him and accusing him and his disciples. But you see, the Pharisees, they're like you and me. They're faithful people of God trying to do the right thing. They're trying to do good things. They're trying to be faithful to God's teachings. You see, these were the most religious people. They were in worship service every Sabbath. They never missed. And they followed all of the rules. So when they see someone doing something incorrectly, not obeying the commandments, not following these traditions, such as not performing the ritual of washing their hands in the right way, or maybe not sitting still during the sermon, or not singing theologically correct songs, or not wearing the appropriate attire for worship, or anything else that wasn't faithfully true to their own religion, they were going to say something about it. They're deeply concerned about doing the right thing in accordance with their understanding of what God says in his word. But this meant that the Pharisees can seem like theological police who took it upon themselves to make sure that everyone behaved a certain way. Nominal Christians. We still do this today, don't we? 
both in our own church context, but also in our public lives. We communicate religious or cultural expectations on each other, thinking that if only everyone just did the right thing, they did good things, no one would get hurt and everyone will be saved. For example, the wider church has been appropriately criticized for their inaction or maybe their bad reaction to reported abuses in the church and false doctrines. And a common reaction is to communicate clear expectations of how everyone should well behave. And it's communicated through sermons or newsletters or social statements and even publicized in professional standards. If only we all just behaved a certain way, then everything Well, it'll just be fine and dandy. It'll work out. Now, this isn't necessarily wrong because we should seek to treat each other with love and concern, empathy and respect and compassion. But it doesn't get to the heart of the issue. It's just making sure that we know how to do the right things with our hands, our works, at least when anybody could be watching. And meanwhile, the secular world is doing similar things. There are secular Pharisees trying to restrict or control or guide what we do or don't do, what we say or we don't say. Many would call the politi- this political correctness, but it's still another way that we communicate clear expectations of each other so everyone will do the right thing. You got your COVID shot, didn't you? No one will get hurt, and we finally live in this perfect world. Again, it doesn't get to the heart of the issue. It either makes more Pharisees who are concerned with doing the right thing when anyone is watching, or it encourages people to hide or justify their sin of rebellion as they disobey these expectations, these commands, these laws, and these guidelines. But more importantly, it denies a basic truth that we're told in the Scriptures. It denies the biblical teaching on original sin, which can't be controlled by laws or rules or commandments or directives or rituals, traditions or guidelines or even political correctness. You see, we're not sinners just because we fail to control our feet and our lips or our eyes and our hands from doing the wrong thing. And I'm sure that you remember a couple of weeks ago, I asked the question, are we sinners because we sin or do we sin because we are sinners? We are sinners because of what's going on in our hearts, because of the fall. We are all born with the sickness of sin, which was inherited from our original ancestors. And our outward actions are only the symptoms of a deeper disease which affects the very center of our being, our hearts. 
Now, when Jesus speaks about our hearts, he isn't so much talking about the fleshy muscle which repeatedly pumps blood through our veins, but he's referring to the place where our will, our motivation, our self-determination resides. And it will affect what we do and how we act. For example, if our heart is set on having just maybe one more cupcake tonight, (laughs) or our hands and our mouth, they, they will follow what our heart feels and will follow suit. If our heart is afraid of something or someone, our body will seek to avoid that situation or that person. If our heart trusts that the only way to get what we want is by throwing a tantrum, give me the cupcake, then our lips and our hands and other parts of our body will follow suit. If our heart is set on thinking that we are right and everyone else is wrong, that judgment will sooner or later leak out through the rolling of our eyes, our arrogant lips, and our offended body actions. You could say that the sin which we do with our hands and our lips or any other part in our, of our bodies, well, it's the what But the sin behind the sin is the why. And it lies within our own hearts. For instance, if we were to apply Luther's explanation of the first commandment to any sin that we do, which is we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. This means that we will sin with our body whenever our heart fears, loves, or trusts in anything else apart from God, even for just a moment. So let's say that you didn't like it when your parents grounded you for breaking their rules. In response, you openly criticized them behind their backs, trying to make others think badly of them. In that case, you broke the fourth commandment by not honoring your father or your mother. And you also broke the eighth commandment by bearing false witness to them. This was the what in which you did. But the why is because you may have feared losing face in front of your friends. And you'd rather your parents lose face instead of you. It could be that you're missing out on something that you love or desire, and so you're doing, or you're going to punish them for stopping you from getting what you want. It could also be that you trust others will now do the fighting for you so they can convince your parents to give you just what you desire. But it also works when you don't think that you're sinning but trying to live a holy life, just like the Pharisees. In this case, let's say that you're trying to please your parents and will do everything possible to please them. Sounds great, doesn't it? I'm a parent. I wish that would happen. Isn't this trying to keep the fourth commandment? 
There's no sin in doing this, is there? Could I be a nominal Christian? But what if the motivation for doing this isn't because you fear love and trust in God, but because you fear your parents are going to punish you if you don't follow their rules? What if you're doing this with the hope that they will give you what you love or you desire as a reward? What if you're trusting this is the only way that you can get your parents to finally love you? Or to approve of you. This means we not only sin when we're doing the wrong thing. But even when we're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. This means what's going on in our hearts is always going to give us away. But how? How does Christ know what's going on in our hearts? (laughs) Well, apart from the fact that he's God. And God alone can see what's truly in our heart. And all of our motivations for everything that we say or do. He judges our hearts. Not so much with what goes into it, but also with what comes out of it. Now we might think as obedient and faithful people of God, our heart is always filled with love and compassion and respect. But all someone needs to do is push our buttons Or present us with some type of temptation or threaten whatever we're trusting in. And we'll soon see what comes out of our hearts. And this is why Jesus lists the things which do come out of people's hearts, our hearts. Which, by the way, this isn't an exhaustive list. But it indicates that out of our selfish desires, our anxious fears, and our misplaced trust of our hearts comes all of these impure thoughts, our words and our actions. Since our hands and lips and thoughts only do what our heart directs them to do, this means our hands and lips and thoughts betray where the motivation of our heart truly lies. And the ugly truth is in our words, our actions and our thoughts And they end up convincing us that our heart is in fact far from God. That's doubt. And that's the evil foe's plan. No wonder King David, when convicted of his sins, prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Does that sound familiar? It's interesting to me that we confess this through our liturgy, right after the offering, a work of our hands. That's a good thing, isn't it? This means that we don't have a behavior management problem in our congregation, our church, or in our society. What we have is sick and selfish hearts which need to be cleansed, made new, healed, and sanctified. The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. And the work of Christ through the church is to cleanse and heal people's hearts through him, through Christ alone. Jesus didn't come to make sure that we're all behaving in just the right way, but to perform 
heart surgery on you and me through his gracious forgiveness, which exchanges our stubborn and pride-filled hearts with clean and pure hearts, which love and serve others with the same grace and mercy. How does he do that? Well, the good news is this. By the free and undeserving grace of God, we're all forgiven of our actions which hurt others with his mercy. We're forgiven for ostracizing others as outcasts from our circle of approved friends. We're forgiven for criticizing others because they didn't live up to our standards. We're forgiven for thinking ourselves better than others because of our own arrogance and our own pride. We're forgiven for not honoring our parents. And you know what? We're forgiven for being bad parents. We're forgiven for spreading those juicy pieces of gossip and and for speaking those swear words when we got frustrated or angry. We're forgiven for all of our indecent and wrongful actions, our words and our thoughts. The next time that we're offered the very body and blood of our Savior, we'll see him come to us in the form of bread and wine. We'll take his holy body in those same hands which hurt others. And so those hands will be purified by him. We'll also receive his holy blood on those same lips which we have criticized and insulted and gossiped. And so our lips will be purified to speak holy words of love and forgiveness to others. His holy body and blood will be absorbed into our bloodstream to pulse through our new hearts so that by faith, our hearts will beat with the same love and determination to serve as Jesus' own heart. Through trusting these precious and holy means of grace, his word and his sacrament, we and our hearts are made new, pure and clean and holy once more. By God's grace, which is revealed through the willing actions of Jesus Christ, Christ alone, who truly reveals God's own heart to us, he comes to restore his relationship with us and bring our hearts closer to his own heart. No matter how far our hearts were or are from God, only God can cleanse and create new hearts which truly do fear, love, and trust in God above all things. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. The bridegroom and the bride. He gave himself up for her that he may sanctify her by the washing of water with his word. Only God, through the work of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can restore our relationship, reconcile us with God, as well as our relationship with others. Only God can draw. Only God can drag our hearts closer to his own heart. And that should give us hope, 
a new hope in him alone, in Christ alone. For this reason, we can pray along with King David that God would create in us clean hearts and renew a right spirit within us. Nominal Christians, I think not, not with our new hearts, our new hope in Christ alone. Now may this give you peace, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. May it guard your hearts. Yes, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you.
Every tear that I take, every move that I make, every tear that I take.